Welcome to the bridge. Won't you look over at somebody next to you and just say, Welcome to the bridge. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Thankful that you're here. Was that her way of saying it, Steph? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I think she was telling Rick. It's more of a, a grunting talk, but it's still, see, there you go. Um, she's awesome. Continuing in our um, sermon teaching series titled Blessed, and last couple of weeks we've been looking at Psalms chapter 1. We've not made it very far because I guess I'm too long-winded. But either way, if there is substance to what God is saying to us through his word, uh, we need to take uh, special care and pay attention to what he's saying to us as a body. Amen. How many wants to be blessed? Amen. How many wants to be a blessing? Amen. Amen. So if we want to be a blessing, we have to be blessed in the first place. And we're going to read through this psalm another time. And I'm pretty confident we won't get far again today, but that's okay. There's only six verses, but those six verses should last for a lifetime. So we will be good. Psalms chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, open to there. It says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come to your house and assemble ourselves together with like-minded believers. And God, for the opportunities that you give us and the places that you allow us to exist, to have our being. And God, we know today through these verses that you intend for us to be blessed. And God, I pray that you would spill out your blessings and pour them out upon your congregation here at the bridge that they would be a blessed people, that would be a blessing to others, that they wouldn't hoard it for themselves, but they would open up their arms and they would pour out the giftings that you've given them. God, I pray that you would equip them to do the work of the ministry and be encouragers to our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So week one we talked about being the blessed man and there's other verses in the Bible that state in the New Testament that there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, that God loves us all the same. So when you read this verse as a female, you can read this verse as saying blessed is the woman just as blessed is the man. You're the only one, Travis. So the women in here is just like, I don't need that. I'm good. 
Look up at the lady next to you, men, or in front of you, or behind you, or somewhere around you, and look at them and tell them, you are very blessed. You're very blessed. Gabby, you're very blessed. Blessed with a good Nana, right? So that's good. And last week over to camping trip, we talked through a little bit of just about community and how that God intends for us to assemble ourselves together and be together. And the Bible says that as the day approaches, the end of times, that we should assemble ourselves together much more. That there should be an assembly of the saints much more as we see that day approaching. And all throughout history, even from the point of the beginning of the church after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the authors of the New Testament was writing about how Jesus' second coming was imminent, that it was coming soon. And it's been stated by a lot of people and a lot of different authors of books and a lot of pastors preaching and telling how it's the end times. I think it's always the end times because time was meant to end. Amen? When God set these things in order, the Bible says he knew the end from the beginning. Amen? That he can see the whole spectrum of the whole thing of humanity, of earth, of heaven, of all these things. So from God's perspective, time is just a thing. Eternity is forever. There is no beginning and there is no ending. So when you think along those terms, that God is looking at us that way, that he already knows your end from your beginning. He told Jeremiah, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. That goes way back. Before. That's a long time back. So if you trace history all the way back, you're going to get all the way back to Adam and Eve because that's when God created man out of the dust of the ground, breathed the spirit into him, and he became man, became alive, and had life. And in that state of existence of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the beginning of the books of the Bible in Genesis, we see that there was a blessing that God placed upon man just with air just with breath if we don't thank him for the small things we cannot thank him for the big things and if you're sitting here today and you're taking breaths one after another your body is on autopilot in faith believing that when I take this action that I have something to bring in Follow me? So that's by faith. You're even breathing. You believe that there's enough out here that I can take a breath and I can get some oxygen for my body that will create life inside of these veins. It's faith. We have to have faith in God to believe that he is the giver of life. I would not have life if it were not for him. And that's a big statement. But as we talk about this blessed life in, in week one and then last week talking over to campground about this community, I believe even a community has to have life 
or some type of God-given abilities even to exist. Community doesn't exist out of existence because if we all just stand around and do nothing, nothing gets done. But if we have life within our veins and within our congregation and within our community, then our community becomes alive. You see, because it's real easy to walk downtown and say, man, it's dead down here. Then we can get on Facebook and say, man, town's really dead. Then we take pictures of no cars and post it online and say, look how dead town is. You know what you're speaking into that? Death. God's word says choose life. Amen? What if we begin to walk through town and not speak death, but speak life? Amen? What if we walk through town and said, I don't know, it may look right now like this place is empty, that there's nothing going on, but I believe God is able to resurrect things from the dead. That it isn't just songs that we sing on the screen. He's never failed. He can do all things. Amen? God is the giver of life. And what if we believed or thought or dreamed or made an impact to make that life possible and quit speaking death? Because I believe a blessed man or a blessed woman is not one that creates death, but one that creates life. Blessed. There's another place in Scripture in the Old Testament that says, Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. Talking about children, people that have kids. You are blessed by having a, a group of kids. Blessed. This same word, blessed. Children are a blessing of the Lord. I know they may not seem like it when they don't clean their room and don't do all those things you ask them to do and don't hoe the garden on time and don't put up the tobacco when you're away working and you know what it's like, right? But the empty nesters, how many empty nesters are in the room? Your kids already grew up and they're out. It's a change of things, isn't it? It's a change of way of life. And then you long for those days when you had them back to scream at them again. <laughs> I was gone for a few years. Burnt mom and dad's old house down. Tori's building down, moved in her trailer, figured out, I can't do that. Don't have enough finances to do that. Had to change things, Chuck. You know what I had to do? I had to sell my trailer. You know where I went? Only place I know to go back to, mom and dad's. Moved in upstairs. Mom started washing my clothes again. That was fun. I didn't have to wash them anymore. That's awesome. Thank God for a mom that washes clothes, right? And she took care of me. And then I began to see that the money that was coming in that I was wasting on a payment that was only on interest. Amen. How many's ever made dumb financial mistakes? Come on, somebody. Where's Earl? <laughs> <laughs> she was raising her hand for you, Earl. I just want to make sure you was in here that you knew that. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't raising it for herself. She's like, Earl. She's finally lined him out. He's not been allowed to buy a race car for the last few years because he's building a house, and the house is more important, she says, than the race car. And she's probably correct because it will bring a lot more joy uh, than the race car will. Next year. Always next year. There's always next year. That's right. Always next year. So as families, and, and I thank God for Mom and Dad because in that, when I – Moved back in, I was able to 
have my checkbook and my same job that I had was bringing money in and now I didn't have the big bill going out with nothing to show for it. Now the money was stacking up. And mom helped me run my checkbook because I wasn't very good at it. Amen. She did, literally. I let her have my checkbook, didn't I, Mom? You can testify to this. I didn't run my own checkbook because I wasn't very good at it. And I give it to her when I moved back in. I was 20 years old. Here, run it for me. Next thing you know, I had enough money saved up, and me and her went house hunting up in Ashland and racing and all that area up in there. I had no idea. I just wanted to be closer to my work. And I was able to put more than 20% down on the house that I bought. Why? Because my mom. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due and honor your parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Amen? Honor our parents. And, and God allowed me to do that. And in honoring your parents and being there and watching your parents and, and giving them access and ability to speak into your life, it's life-giving. And I didn't know that that was going to be the place where that I was going to meet Ernie and Karen and then eventually Leslie. It's pretty good when you get to know your in-laws first. At least you know what you're getting into. That's the way it went down for me. Me and Ernie rode a million miles on a church bus going picking up kids and bringing them to church. And then Leslie come home. But that home was a, a place that I was proud of. And I was excited to have my own house again. And it was a really nice place. And the thing, the awesome part is, is the pastor was here at this church that preached from this pulpit for five years. It was his house. And I bought that house while he was preaching here. I lived in the preacher's house. I didn't know that later on we was coming here. But Ronnie was there, and, and it just turned out that's how it happened. Then a few years later, Les and I got called into ministry, and we went to another community in Middlesboro, which is... 242 miles from our doorstep to theirs. And we get down there and we pastor a church for a few years and, and everything's going good. Everything's going the way we see fit and, and God's giving life. We went there. There was eight people at that church. I'm talking about a blessed life here. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. What he can do if you allow your parents, if you'll give yourself to, to God's word and what he wants you to do and just say, God, your will be done, not mine. Amen. I'll mess it up. Just go ahead and do what you want, God. And as we got down there, and God began to bless. And next thing you know, that church began to grow. And it was just an awesome opportunity to see something that there was people that drove through that town for years. And it's a pretty good-sized town. It's 13,000 people lives in that town, Middlesboro. That's as much as all of Lewis County combined lived inside of town. I grew up in Brary, up in Quincy. There ain't 200 people in the whole holler. Now I live with 13,000 people that I don't know. And it's, it's different. This city life's different, isn't it? It's crazy how that happens. And we end up, we try to be life-giving and, and breathe life back in because everybody driving down the road says, that's that church that used to run 400, and it's dead. Everybody say, but God. Amen. If we let him do what he wants to do, he can bring life to dead things. Amen? Why did Jesus go to Lazarus' tomb if there was no hope? Amen? 
second. Jesus walked up in there with faith, believing and knowing that his God is a giver of life. His father was a life-giving person that did not cherish death but cherished life. And as he walked up, what did he do to that tomb? They rolled it. He's rolled that stone away, right? What happens? Lazarus, come forth. What happens? Lazarus comes walking out in grave clothes. Amen. That's who God is. You talk about blessed, and that's what it's like whenever you see something like that happen. You come, and it looks dead, and everybody says give up, and there's no hope, and just throw in the towel, and, and cry uncle, and all these terms that we throw out there all the time. That's not what God's desire is for your life. His desire is that you wake up in the morning and say, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm going to see God do things in my life and through me and with me and in my community, and we're going to see change. I believe it. I trust Him for it. And as you do that and begin to speak that, there is something about speaking. Amen? It's not just thinking things. Because if you play that game, the devil, that's his, that's his stomping grounds. He's, you get him in your mind and just twist that around a minute. Amen? Start talking. If you're battling, start talking. Start speaking. And sometimes, even when nobody's listening, you don't have to, you can get in your war room, the movie that you've seen a few years ago. The war room, if you've never watched that, you need to. You get inside a place like that and bow down and begin to pray to an almighty God and see what happens. There's no options but success when God gets involved. Blessed is the man. And then it says, Walk not in the council on God, like we talked about that, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But, verse 2, but. So he don't sit in that seat of the scornful. And that's what we talked about last week over at the camping trip. That the most quoted verse in Scripture today, more than likely in the Bible, is don't judge me, right? Judge not lest I be judged. Everybody ever heard that quoted, right? Last week we talked about that. But read of all of Matthew 7. It talks about in Matthew 7 to judge with righteous judgment. Corinthians says that a spiritual man judges all things. And I talked about scornful judgment is different than judgment to bring change, to create change. And that's God's desire is for us to be people, agents of change, that not, doesn't scorn people, doesn't look down upon people, doesn't cast blame on everybody for all their ills and all their wrongs, but it's a person that goes out and breathes life even into people that thinks there's no hope. As a people of the bridge, we should be that. So it says don't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What are you delighting in? What's your delight? Some people like orange sherbet. Anybody like orange sherbet? My grandma Shirley loved orange sherbet. It's decent, right? I'd rather have a fudge brownie, whatever it is, Sunday. That, that's more up my style, you know. Lava cake at a restaurant, right, with ice cream on the side. And my grandma will be over, mmm, sherbet, it's just so good. So everybody's delight's different. What's your delight? What makes you light up? It says that the blessed man or blessed woman, his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. What is that? How do we find that? As King David is writing this down, what does that really mean? His delight is in the law of the Lord. How many likes the law? How many likes the 55 speed limit on a double-way highway? How many likes whenever you drive by and you're running 67 in a 55 zone and you see the law sitting there? Do you delight in that? It's like, yes, I was hoping I'd pass one of those today. This is awesome. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to delight myself in this. And there's lights all right, but it's not delight. <laughs> they're red and blue, and they're flashing behind you to know, pull over, because the law is here. Am I the only one? Surely there's others. But that's what the law is. The law is what's written and black and white, very specific, most of the time. Sometimes they got gray areas so the lawyers can have their occupation. But that law is black and white. And wherever you look at that sign and it says 55, do you have to have some kind of strange ability to interpret that? To really know the, what does that really mean? A lot of people say, well, you can get by with four over. Anybody ever heard that? I've heard other people say, nine over, that's it. You, you can run nine miles an hour, just set it on 64, and they'll never pull you over. What's 55 mean? 55. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and act like I'm some goody two-shoes, and I never drive faster than speed limit, because I do quite often. I'd rather be honest, but I don't delight in that rule. Amen. I don't delight having to drive 55 on the Dubway Highway. I really don't. Because if you're used to driving 64, setting your cruise, and going 64, when you slow down and put it on 55, it feels like you're setting still. <laughs> I, am I telling truth or not? I, I know this is a little not, but I'm talking about delighting in the law. There isn't much delight in that. It's like that makes no sense. There is no reasoning behind that. That's a big wide road. It's got berms on both sides. They got guardrails. There's no reason to not be able to run 65. Come on, somebody. If you could make the law, Chuck, what would the speed limit be on, on the double highway? 75. Okay, he's up and ante. I'm, I'm with Chuck. I'm voting for Chuck. But think about that. But for some reason... I don't have to know it all to have an understanding of what the law is. Because the law is not my interpretation of it, but what does it state? And if 55 makes no sense to me, I've got other things involved. <coughs> Amen? Now I'm saying I don't like it. That's not delighting myself in the law. That's me saying, I don't like the law. That's absolutely the, the opposite of delight. Delighting means I love it. And I'm sure that you're going to be a group of people, and maybe even one's watching or listening this week, is going to be people, I hope they're listening this when they're driving down the road. <laughs> I hope and pray somebody's not here today, get, whenever they get on the, on the page and uh, get on the 
app and, and, and download this sermon as they're driving down the road. I hope and pray they look down at their speedometer about right now. But delighting in the law is not easy, is what I'm saying. And by me not liking the law doesn't make the law go away. And me not liking the law and never running across a cop to cause an infraction of the law where they can write me up for it and get $170 out of my wallet. Amen? Doesn't do away with the law. I can get by with it for a long time. But the Bible talks about a judgment. And this righteous judgment that I'm talking about is God's law is final. It's settled. It's not changing. The Bible says multiple places throughout Scripture that this is his word and it will change not. This is not going to change. This book is not going to change. We're, we may want it to change. We may not like how fast he tells us to go or how slow he tells us to go or how he tells us to get along with others. We, it might tell us how to go and make amends with somebody we don't get along with anymore. It may tell us all kinds of things to go do. We may like praying. But we'd read through the verse, and whenever Jesus is saying at the Sermon on the Mount, if you're praying, and you come up and kneel down, and you have odd against your brother or sister, you're to get up from praying, stop praying. But see, in my Bible, uh, knowledge as being a Christian, it's like, I, I think God wants me to pray. What's his word say? It says get up from praying and go do something. Make amends, if it be possible, live it peaceful with all men. But try Put the olive branch out and say, I'm sorry I did you wrong. Or you may, not, you may walk up to somebody and you may be harboring all these feelings for all this time and they don't even know that they hurt your feelings. When you walk up and you say, I, I need to talk to you about something. I've, I've got odd against you. And the Bible tells me to quit praying and come and talk to you. That ain't real easy. Amen? Christians aren't real good at that. Amen. What's the easy thing to do? Just go and avoid them. I know none of you do that. We don't have a big enough town that you can go to another food store to get your food. You're going to have to go up there somewhere. Dollar, what do you call it? Gentral or something. Dollar Gentral, less they calls it, or save a lot. So you don't have many options. You're going to run into somebody in an aisle eventually if you go in there and get your food that you don't like. And as a Christian, what are we going to do with it? Delighting in the law is saying, I know God knows better than me. And I'm going to abide by it whether I like it or not, whether I feel good about it or not, whether I seem like it seems like the right thing to do or not. It's what the law says. Delighting in the law is doing what it says no matter what. It takes my reasoning out of it. I don't have to be a person that has extreme Bible knowledge to read that verse and know what it says to do. It's like the sign, 55. This is not going to be easy, being blessed. Because a blessed man is one that delights himself or herself in the law of the Lord. I love it more than my own opinion. I love God's word and God's ways better than my own ideals. Better than my own plans. Better than my own desires. Because I know, for without a shadow of a doubt, in the life that I've lived thus far, that I messed up more in my first 20-some years than I have in my second run of 20-some years because I've allowed God to do what He wants to do, not what I want to do. 
Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't failed him. I have. And when I fail him, guess what? I can't blame him. That's on me. As a Christian, we're going to have stumbling. We're going to have falling. We're going to have situations happen that we don't see coming. We're going to get blindsided by things. But in the midst of that, we have to be blessed in order to help others. And the way to do that is to delight in the law of the Lord. Does that make sense? How many loves it? How many loves the hard stuff? Amen? Just as much as the easy stuff. Not just to pray, but to go work some things out. That's what I'm telling you today. It's what God wants us to know today. Has, somebody ever, has, has anybody in here ever been wronged by somebody? How many's ever been wronged at a church? Right? Make amends. Don't walk away and be bitter and hold grudges. The Bible doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to be blessed. And the way to be blessed is to love his law and abide by it and do what it says to do. But then it goes on in this first verse 2 and says, And in his law he meditates day and night. So I guess the best way to say this is in the blessing of God. There is no shutoff valve. There is no switch to turn off. It's full time all the time. There's no season where I get to abide by it for a while and it gives me a, a year of jubilee where I don't have to do it anymore. It's full time. Amen? This Christian life is a full time gig. It's 24-7. It's not just one hour on a Sunday morning. It's not just getting in a connection group or, or coming to youth group or whatever way we worship God together. It's not just here. It's everywhere we are is his law is the truth. His law is what we're to abide by. And as it says here, King David, can you imagine being king? He's younger. He had just... Replaced King Saul, who was a... Anybody ever read, read the story of King Saul? It's a mess. And, you know, in this, in this song this morning that said, as Isabel was singing, you know, he's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. I'm not going to try to sing that, Isabel, just, just so you know. I'm, I'm just quoting the words. Never lost a battle. How many believes that's true? God has never lost a battle. He really hasn't. This Bible is completely full of stories where God never lost a battle. Even at Lazarus' tomb, when the enemy thought he had Lazarus, he had already been buried for days, and Jesus shows up too late in Mary and Martha's mind, guess what? It's never too late. Why? Because if Jesus says come forth, there is no option but for a dead man to come rising up and come walking out of the grave. That's the power of God that he has. So as we think about this, power the presence of God day and night night and day that it's there that it's not going to shut off and God wants us to exist where it never ceases but this blessing King David had followed Saul what did Saul do how did Saul die 
You want to know how it ended for him? He got sick of waiting on God's prophet to tell him when to go to battle because he had never lost one. He was king of Israel, and God continued to talk to a prophet and tell him, King, it's time to go to war. There's other times he told him, Saul, God says don't go this time. Because sometimes we get in battles that we don't need to be in. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we enter into our own battles and we expect victory when we're the one that initiated it and God's not in it. Amen? So King Saul got sick of somebody else telling him what to do because he's king. Kings don't listen very well. But I know the king of kings. Amen? I know the one that's got the answers. And anything on this earth, they're not the answer. We know who we serve, right? The God of heaven. And every man's a liar, it says in Scripture. Every man is a liar. So look at your neighbor and go ahead and depict to them, you're a liar. Amen. Is there anybody in here that says you've never told a lie? Anybody going to raise your hand and say, I've, I've never told a lie? So apparently this is a case study that the Bible's true. Every man's a liar. But God cannot lie. So eventually... King Saul gets sick of waiting on Samuel to come. And, and, he, and, he, and he, you know, I'm tired of listening for the prophet to tell me when to, when, to, when to go to battle and when not to go to battle. I want to do it my way. I'm, I'm sick of listening to him. Why does he tell me what to do all the time? Why is his law what matters? Why can't I make the law? I'm my own king. And eventually Saul messes up and goes into a battle that he wasn't supposed to be in. And he's got his son Jonathan there that he loves. This is the guy, King Saul, is the one that was standing up on the hill that was too scared to go down and fight Goliath and David come and fought him as a kid. So I'm talking about the king. The Bible says he was a head higher over all of Israel. Think about being the tallest man in the crowd and Goliath down there eight foot tall screaming, come down here, one of you. I wonder who everybody was looking at. Send her a big guy. Send him down there. Hulk Hogan, you can take Andre Giant out. Go get him. You're the biggest one. Go get him, right? But Saul wouldn't go. But later on, in the end of the battles, he ends up going to a battle that God did not tell him to go to. And when he got in the middle of that battle, it started getting hot in here. And as the battle ensued, it says that the enemy become victorious and begin to take off the children of Israel and the, and the, and the warriors of Israel. And the next thing you know, Saul found himself up on the high point of this hill, scared to death because he had lost it all. And in the end of his days, the last day of his life, he looked down and he was defeated. Did God lose the battle? Did Israel lose? No. Saul lost. And he took his own life because he didn't want the enemy to do it for him. Do not get in situations and circumstances that God did not tell you to get into. And the reason you need to delight in the law of the Lord night and day is you better know this book to know what you better be doing and what you better not be doing. Amen? Because the more you know about this, the more likely you're not going to get in those situations that Saul got into. Because you're going to recall something. You're going to get a situation or somebody's going to say something. That might be something that offends you. But what God, what's God's word say to do in that 
What Jesus say to do? If they smite you once, what? What, Rick? What are we to do? Turn the other cheek. Is that easy? Somebody punches you? How many's got those kind of uh, capabilities? Somebody socks you in the jaw. Chuck, I know you, and you don't have that kind of temperament, man, to turn another cheek. You got me once. Here, how about do it again over here? This is, I just equal it out. Hit me on this side, too. We're not very good at that. But that's Scripture. And that's not easy, but that's what it says to do. So when we walk up to people and they, maybe it's not, maybe the smite is not a literal fist, but it's a word of accusation of something that they thought you did that you didn't do. Are you to defend yourself or just say, hit me again? And as a Christian, be humble, be meek, be mild, be who Jesus was. That's what he did. He proved it. He could when he was standing in that palace and the chief priest and the rulers of that day. What happened when he went to Pilate? They punch him, they hit him, they spit on him and do all those things. What does he do? says nothing. They was mad because he said nothing. They was mad because they wanted their offensive words to cause an accusation to come back out of him. But Jesus did not do that. Why? Because he knew the will of the Father was for this to happen and this to happen now. Did Jesus like it? He said, let this cup pass for me in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He didn't want it to happen. He wasn't looking forward to that day. But sometimes we end up in those situations and what are we going to do? As a blessed person, does that mean you won't be persecuted? I don't think so. A blessed person is one that goes back to the word and says, what does this law say? And what should I do? And that's not easy. This Christian life is not an easy life. It's not an easy road. Is there any old saints in here that can say amen? Been, been through some things? As a Christian, had some hardship, had some troubles, had some struggles, had all these things, issues. But through it all, God is still faithful. He's never lost a battle. I may have. But that's on me, not on him. We can't hold him accountable when we get outside of his will. Uh, it's 1130. And this has got to continue on. And we'll talk about being a tree later on. Meditate in the law day and night. What if you would read the Bible day and night? And night and day. And day and night. And night and day. What if you would listen to it? What if you'd listen to music that depicts scripture? I think you would be more blessed. Amen? That we would get out of our own way and do what he's asking us to do. Because why? I don't want to be like me. I want to be like him. It's as simple as that. A blessed man is one that is an image or a picture of the God he serves. And God is a God that blesses. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes with me?
his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Jesus, we ask that you would come in this room, that you would enter the hearts of the believers here today. And God, as you make yourself known to them today, that you're issuing a challenge to them. of whether they want to be blessed or not. And God, I know through this message today that you're telling us that that your desire is for us to be blessed. But you're also at the same time telling us sometimes that blessing is tough. That sometimes being blessed and walking this walk and talking this talk is not easy and Jesus I know that as you're challenging us in this room today that you're not casting us out that you're not setting us aside that you're not telling us that we can't you're encouraging us to do what you asked for us to do So Jesus, I ask for those that's sitting in the room today that may have been offended or may have issues with some folks in their life, God, that you would give them the ability and the strength and the courage. And God, that they would be able to go make amends and to stretch out an olive branch and to, to ask for forgiveness for harboring ill feelings and living a life that's contrary to your word. God, let these words be true in our hearts, not only on these pages. Give us the ability to do the hard things, Jesus. To do things right and according to your word. God, for those in the room today that are struggling that they've entered into battles that they didn't need to be in and they've, they've lost some situations in their life and they're sitting here today and they know that it wasn't you that lost but they entered in the wrong ring and they're sitting here knowing that they need to get in the ring and do the battles that you ask them to do, not what they want to do.
God, I pray that you would encourage them and you would encourage them to read your word, to know what they ought to be doing. That they would know, that they would hear your still small voice that would speak to them and encourage them and strengthen them. That there would be direction like they've never known. A clear, concise voice saying, go here, don't go there. Do this, don't do this. God, make it simple for us. We know it's your desire to bless us. And we're seeking your blessing today. We're asking for your help because we can't do it alone. We need your life. We need to speak life the way you do. God, I pray. Let that happen in this room right now. Nobody looking around. Everybody, heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there any here today that, and this is just between me and you, and I, I want to pray with you to, to help you. To intercede with you. anybody here that say pastor I've got some people that I need to make amends with that either I've hurt them or they hurt me and I need some help that God would allow me to go to them that restitution would happen that there would be peace anybody here just lift up your hand if that's you that you need to make some things right amen thank you for that hand anybody else thank you for that hand Anybody else? Is there others? Listen for his voice, for the wind. Don't do it your way. Do it his way. God, we pray today as a body for these that just raised their hand for this situation. God, that you would encourage them, that you would wrap your loving arms around them. Lord, that they would know that you're going with them, that they're not walking alone, but they're walking with you. And God, we pray that you would just be there, that you would be the mediator that you say you are in your word. And God, you would cause peace to happen for families to be restored. For relationships to be restored. For a community to be healed. In Jesus' name. Everybody keep your heads bowed. Anybody else in here today? That God is challenging you right now to stop speaking death and begin to speak life. If that's you, if you've been discouraged, if you've been downtrodden, if you've been hurt, and, and you're just sitting here today and you're saying, God, I need to be more positive. And I can't do it, but I need you. I want to speak life and not death. If that's you in this room today, I just want you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I need to speak more life and stop speaking death. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Amen. Amen. 
Let's join together and pray for these that just lifted their hand. And even if you didn't, if you need this prayer, it's for you too. God knows your heart. God, I pray that you would bring and just rain down right now a season of encouragement upon these people. For the ones that just lifted their hands, it says that they're having a hard time and they're, they've been speaking the wrong things and they've been declaring the wrong things and they know that it's brought about death in their life and in their relationships and in their family. And God, I pray today that you would encourage them. Lord, that you would pour out your love upon them. That they would know that you're with them, God. And they would speak life like they've never spoke before. That they would begin to declare things, God. And they would begin to call out and call things that are not as though they are just as your word says God let us be a people of encouragement a people of blessing I speak blessing over Vanceburg right now in the name of Jesus God I speak blessing over Lewis County in the name of Jesus God calls us to rise up and call ourselves blessed because of who you are not because of what we have but who you are God God, we speak blessings over them. God, we declare that this church is blessed and highly favored, that the bridge is yours and yours alone. God, that we are just here as caretakers. And we're just here, Lord, in, a, in, in part of this thing that you're doing. And Lord, we're just joining with you, giving ourselves to you to say, do with us as you wish. Not our way, but your way, God. speak health 
Lord, we know that you are the great physician and the healer. For those that are sitting here and they're thinking about someone in their family, at their workplace, that's dealing with sickness, God, we know it's of the enemy, that he's the only one that comes to bring disease. God, you are a good God, and you created us in your image to be healthy. We thank you for healing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, you ought to get to know him today. It's a very, very, very easy, simple thing to do is just ask him to come in your heart and believe that he was risen from the dead and that he's the Savior of the world. That's all you have to do. Don't leave this place today without knowing him if you don't know him. He's beckoning in this room if you don't know him he's beckoning at your heart's door saying let me come in and let me do life with you nobody looking around everybody heads bowed eyes closed anybody here that don't know him as your savior and today you can sense him in this room and you know he's calling you and saying Give me your heart. Give me your life and see what I can do. Is that you in this room today? I just want you to lift up your hand. Anybody here that don't know him? Maybe you've known him before and you've walked away and you want to come back home today and you know you've, maybe it's when you was a child and you went to vacation Bible school, whatever the situation is. Today he's knocking saying, come home, come home, and you're ready to just recommit your life to him and say, I'm ready to turn it over because I've made a mess of it, and today's my day and I'm giving him my life. You'll just lift up your hand and say, that's me, anybody in this room? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. God, we pray for those that are not with us today, the ones that are out traveling. God, we pray that you would give them traveling mercies for Dusty and Albie and for others. God, we just thank you for this congregation, for this group of believers. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our life and in our church. God, let us be a people this week that's blessed beyond measure that we'll speak it and we'll live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.